0: Welcome to the proud to be profane podcast your initiation into the ways of the square to resurrect the wretch and pee on the all-seeing pyramid of illuminati enlightenment and now here's your host mr. Michael Joseph welcome to the proud to be profane podcast welcome to episode number 31 we're going to talk a bit about health and diet today we haven't done that in a while and for that we will have a conversation with Tristan from Primal Edge Health and this conversation will be somewhat in the vein of things we discussed previously with Emily Moyer on diet and health and also Christopher Gardner going back to the more neutral days of Proud to be Profane but as we know Sometimes you can't stay neutral forever, when things become more and more clear. And you feel, I guess, a moral obligation to take a stand on something. Whether you end up being right or wrong in the end, I don't know, but you want to have good reasons for it, at least. And at this point, I don't really have so many issues with that. It's just trying to stick with them in the face of adversity but setting aside pseudo-poetic self-reflection moments that most people probably don't want to hear. Back to this subject at hand. So we're going to talk about diet, health, and the usual golem of veganism, how it ties to New World Order agendas, yet trying to remain understanding and nice about it for people who are perhaps enamored with such diets or the philosophies that are generally attached to them. And while we're certainly understandable of that we also don't really agree with them and think that there is a lot of objective reasoning tied to both the temporal and spiritual aspects of debating said diets. And even though those things tend to synthesize and have a relationship to each other That is kind of undeniable. We of course like to do the alchemical process but define in a particular way where we separate and synthesize the issues so we'll take the first temporal or material aspect and talk a bit more about diet in that realm in the first part with Mr. Tristan and in the second hour we'll get into more of the spiritual implications. And we're a little bit shorter on time than we wanted to be So perhaps we can have Mr. Tristan on again soon, but nonetheless, let's get to our conversation with Primal Edge Health. One additional note before we get to our conversation, just wanted to make it known that Tristan and his wife were very helpful for my lady's struggles with diet and her recovery from the damage from veganism, and they were also very charitable in the process. And so we can certainly endorse their services. Welcome back to another Proud to be Profane episode. Today we have a special guest. We have Tristan from Primal Edge Health. Tristan, how are
1: you today? Great, man. Very nice to meet you. It's an honor to be on. You got, Like I said before, you got that perfect radio voice. You make me want to be a better voice. (laughs)
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, Well, I guess we can just jump right into it. Um, For those who aren't familiar with you, can you tell us a bit about your personal journey? You have a channel that's dedicated to diet and dealing with more meat eating versus vegetarian diets. I guess if you just want to go through a little bit of your journey and then did you ever yourself go into vegetarian or vegan diets And what was your diet growing up and what was the sort of the evolution of your diet and how you dealt
1: with it throughout your life? Cool, cool, man. Yeah, so we've been doing uh, I've been doing a YouTube channel since 2000, either the end of 2013 or 14. I'll say 2014 just to be safe. So a few years now I've been doing this YouTube channel started out um, from. Started out on my kind of like dietary journey, the evolution of my diet kind of started out from just having chronic health conditions. I grew up with asthma, um, diagnosed with scoliosis when I was in seventh grade. So I had some back pain and all sorts of, uh, you know, just minor nagging uh, injuries that weren't healing. I got semi seriously injured when I was 20 years old. I got hit by a car. It was my fault. I hit a car. Um, skating. And yeah, so I mean, this this kind of set me on this journey to try and use diet and lifestyle to manage both pain and chronic inflammation in the body. I mean, I heard about the, I didn't really ever think about diet as a way to improve health, <laughs> for, you know, for some reason. I mean, I always knew inherently that, you know, fast food is bad for you, that, you know, a lot of this junk food is bad. But I mean, I grew up eating, um, you know, cereal and candy and uh just just junk just a you know a bunch of crap so this guy that introduced me to it he was into the idea of like a vegan diet a full-on no animal foods diet that was primarily raw right so i remember this buddy of mine he came over and he uh made us some smoothies and he put like raw chocolate in it and blueberries and stuff like that and he had this green powder that tasted freaking horrible Tasted like laundry detergent and, uh, he's like, yeah, you drink this every day and you get all this, you know, green micronutrients and stuff. So like I did a few of these things and, um, you know, I, the green powder made me, made me poop like <laughs> green <laughs> foam for a couple of days. And, uh, you know, and of course, like, Oh, you know, that's, that's detoxification. You detoxing, man. So this is back in 2008, 2009. And, uh. So from those ideas, I kind of experimented with that a little bit and ended up finding that the uh, the lack of animal foods most definitely made me feel awful, right? But there were certain things about what I was introduced, certain ideas that stuck, um, removing processed food, uh, avoiding vegetable oils. Uh, learned a little bit more about how the, the modern diet is basically based around corn and soy and mass produced monocropped grains that require lots of pesticide use, lots of herbicide use, and um, you know quality animal foods are just really, really expensive. So this led me to uh, you know experimenting with things like raw milk eventually, and uh, really enjoyed that. But I was still kind of uh, you know dancing between like vegetarian, vegan, leaning, and the idea that maybe we don't need meat, maybe we don't eat animal foods, and if we just do it right and get the right combination of nutrients and eat you know these novel uh, you know non-glutinous grains or you know have quinoa, spelt, uh, stuff like that, then maybe we can uh, we will be able to uh, bypass the nutrient deficiencies of the lack of meat and through experimentation, I realized that absolutely require animal foods. Uh, We moved to Ecuador in 2010. So in 2010, we decided to come to Ecuador to visit. We ended up loving it and we moved here. And some of the first people I met here when I was, um, when we were coming here, we were looking at We wanted to be a little bit more self-sufficient, not like, you know, up in the woods in the middle of nowhere, living off the land, never seeing anybody. But like we wanted to be able to produce some of our own food, a great majority of our own food. We thought of the idea of being able to produce our own quality foods uh, was something that would be very valuable moving forward, especially as the price of food starts going up. And so we moved to this rural area of Ecuador. Some of the first people we met were producing their own food. And we quickly realized that it's absolutely necessary. If you want to produce your own food, you got to use animals, right? So we met this lady, Martha, she was like 85 years old. She's walking up and down these big steep hills and, uh, tying up her goat and then, uh, feeding it and making sure it's nourished. And she's milking that goat every day. She gave us some colostrum from the goat colostrum, which is the first milk from a ruminant animal. Um, uh, from any mammal, it's the first milk that they produce for the baby that populates their gut and actually helps to build their immune system, and it's one of the most powerful foods ever, one of the most incredible foods out there. And so she gave us some raw colostrum, and I was just, I was just amazed. I was like, man, this is this is great. I remember asking this lady, hey, do you know anybody who lives off their own land and is able to produce their own food as a vegetarian or vegan? And she was like, you know, vegetarians, is kind of possible, right? Because you can have milk, you got eggs and stuff like that. She's like, I don't really actually know any pure vegetarians living off their own land. But vegans, that's absolutely impossible. And it kind of confirmed what I'd already thought about, you know, the, the whole vegan thing. And Anyways, uh, so transitioning out of the trying to limit animal foods, which I think the longest I went without meat was like six months. And at the end of that, I still had cheese in between there, too, because I just I needed something to, <laughs> to make me. Uh, to get me through that. So the cheese, I thought I didn't need the cheese, but maybe that was like my saving grace there. And anyways, at the end of that six month experiment, I, I just felt so bad. I got so sick, sicker than I've ever been. thought I was going to die. I wasn't able to hold down anything for weeks. Like I was, I was puking up all the water I drank for like a whole week. I was dehydrated and, uh, just felt drained. I came out of that, and the first food that I wanted was chicken foot soup, but I'd never had that before. I just remember hearing that in uh, you know, Chinese medicine, they use chicken foot soup when people get flus and when they get sick. So I had that chicken foot soup, and I was just like, man, we need animal foods. So anyways, I dropped the uh, the idea of trying to avoid animal foods after that. And our daughter was conceived soon after that. She ended up having, when she was a year old, she ended up having really bad dental caries. And that was a uh, dental care is basically when their teeth are you know, decaying like tooth decay, right? When her teeth started coming through the gums, um, she was, the enamel layer was just like turned into powder and coming off and it freaked us out. So, um, Ended up reading a book called nutrition and physical degeneration by weston a price dr weston a price this is one of the most important books on anthropology on human nutrition ever one of the most important uh anthropology books of the 20th century he was traveling around in the 1930s right before world war ii and visiting uh visiting cultures and peoples uh, who were not in contact with what he called the foods of commerce and he was trying to figure out why People in the West, people in the U.S. and Europe, especially England and uh, in the U.K. and the United States, had such bad dental health. Why they were getting dental deterioration at such a young age, and things like tuberculosis and cancers were skyrocketing back then. But these tribes of people, like he visited the Inuit, for instance, zero tuberculosis, zero tooth decay until – Portions of their population started coming in contact with processed food, canned foods, imported (laughs) foods, and replacing their good quality local foods, which were all animal foods in the case of the Inuit. He visited uh, the Swiss, uh, the Swiss Valley, the Lushental Valley, and these people were living basically exclusively off of broth with meat in it and bones and uh, cheese and dairy. So raw milk, raw cheese, butter. Right? That was from the rapidly growing grass that, uh, that would be growing in the spring. They would make special cheeses that they would save throughout the year, and they'd eat those, and they'd have uh, broth, and then they'd grow a little bit of grain, and they'd hand mill that grain, and then they have their bread that they make right there. So these people were not eating processed food. They weren't eating a, uh, a plant-based processed food diet. They were eating primarily animal-based. And every single group of people that he visited whether it was you know, the, uh, the Indonesian islands, the um, uh, the Hebrides islands uh, around Scotland, he found that they were all basing their diet off of animal foods, primarily animal foods, some of them exclusively animal foods. And he found that none of them had dental caries, tuberculosis, or any of the modern diseases. But as soon as groups, or even you could see examples in the book of families where one of the siblings is working at a trade port and eating a lot of canned food, and they get the health issues, they get dental caries, they get um, tuberculosis, and the other sibling is eating their their native diet, which is based primarily off of local animal foods, and they have perfect, robust health, jaw development, facial formation, and, and all of that. So this really opened my eyes up. We started implementing a lot of the principles that he taught, which was the inclusion of good quality animal fats, right? There's these fat-soluble vitamins that we require for development of our central nervous system, of everything in our body. So we started giving her a lot of butter, uh, things like cod liver oil, uh, fresh liver, uh, good quality organs, and lots of animal foods, bone broth, and her teeth hardened up. And our second child, who was born four years ago, he didn't have any of the issues that our daughter, who's now eight, had when she was getting her baby teeth. now her adult teeth that started coming in and all of them are perfectly normal, perfectly healthy, uh, no issues with her adult teeth, but her baby teeth, she had major decay in those as a kid. So this really just demonstrated to us the importance of animal foods, even though we weren't fully vegan, even though we were eating animal foods after she was conceived, right? We weren't eating that much of them and we were eating Basically a you know a standard Western diet, lots of grains, breads, just whatever. And uh, so this demonstrated to us the importance of animal foods. This led us to you know including a lot more of these foods, eventually doing ketogenic diet, low carbohydrate diet, and then uh, you know, through exploration and sometimes necessity, removing certain foods to see how they affect us. Um, ended up landing on a basically all animal foods based diet. And that's what we do now, and that's what we teach people how to do. We teach people how to lose body fat, how to improve their metabolic health (laughs) using a ketogenic approach, but also a lot of people are coming to us with major autoimmune conditions, and we find that a full-on carnivorous diet can be one of the most powerful interventions when people have things like IBS, um, arthritis, depression, anxiety. These can be treated with lifestyle and dietary interventions, and focusing on animal foods as the baseline of your diet, and in some cases, focusing on primarily and exclusively even animal foods can bring major health benefits because animal foods contain all the nutrient, all the nutrients we need in the most bioavailable and easily digestible form, and they provide that to us in a perfect package that we can consume uh, fresh and locally. And this can transform our health and the health of our families and our communities as well, especially if we're producing our own quality foods in our local area. As we see now, major food shortages in a lot of places. This can be bypassed by creating systems of food production that are not so fragile, that are more decentralized and local. And that's what we focus on with our channel. So, um, yeah, I think I kind of hit on most of the, the important bullet points there. Yeah.
0: And I think, um, did you grow up? I'm assuming in America, were you on the West Coast? Because you seem kind of like a West Coast person.
1: Yeah. I grew up in California. If you can't tell, by a retarded <laughs> accent. Yeah. You could take the, uh, you could take the boy out of California, but you can't take the retarded California accent out of the boy. You know well,
0: uh, I grew up on the East in Vermont. So it's similar kind of vibe, you know, kind of relaxed, laid back. And, you know, for me, I grew up, um, you know, I, I was basically eating crap. I was eating yeah. Taco Bell, McDonald's, stuff like that. It wasn't necessarily so much my choice, it was just what I was fed.
1: But we didn't know, like we had no idea. You know, I'm like, I'm go to the store with my parents, and I'm like, we need lucky charms. Like that's what we need. <laughs> we need Captain Crunch. I went to college, i eat Captain Crunch every morning and like pancakes with the syrup all over. That was what I was was eating in oh, the yeah. dining hall.
0: Yeah, and I I go by the uh, snacks aisle now, and I look, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I used to eat those things. It's like little Debbie cakes and gushers and all that crap, and, you know, it's awesome when you're eight years old, but then later on you feel like crap, and then you wonder why, and then you start to, you know, develop into your own person, and then you have to realize maybe there's not something right here. And then for me, it was going from really bad food to, you know, kind of bad food where you think, well, if I eat – whole grain bread and i eat pasta dishes with vegetables i'm going to be just fine and you feel a little better but you still don't feel all that great and i actually had some some back problems too some of it was probably my diet some of it was just you know not really good posture or just bad lifestyle in general and then eventually you evolve on and on and then for me i hit like that vegetarian mindset as well and that actually when I started doing that, it was kind of a dumb time. I had a lot of health problems for a lot of reasons. I won't get into that, but basically I was recovering yeah. from surgery, and I lost a ton of muscle, and then that vegetarian diet certainly did not help it, and actually, I think, kind of screwed up my recovery on some things.
1: I had a similar situation, man. When I had that back injury, it was like, oh, maybe if I go vegan, like, you know, if I do this vegan stuff, this guy was telling me of my buddy, and he was, you know, he was a really... He was a cool guy. Like he—he he wasn't like these obnoxious vegans. Like all the other vegans I've ever met were so freaking obnoxious. And it was like, there's no way that this is healthy. Look at these people, right? I remember this one vegan dude I knew in college, uh, one of the few vegans I knew. Uh, I remember seeing him at the farmers market, like stealing kale from. These farmers like just put it in his bag and walks off it's like gold, he, like, man. <laughs> he was like a drug dealer. He sold drugs at the university. And so he's like, man, like most of these people are scummy. But this one guy I met, he was like, you know, a lot of great energy. He was a really good skateboarder. And he was like, man, I recover better when I do this. And He, he was doing other supplements like MSM and stuff like that. And uh, which is like an organic sulfur compound. It's really good for healing tissues and joints. But yeah, the same thing, man. I was like, I, I thought this was going to help. But I got in – I became just in more chronic pain and I had times when I had to like self-medicate with uh, like muscle relaxers and stuff like that because my my back would just seize up. But I was just – I was nutrient deficient and I had no idea what I was doing. I was young and dumb and – but it's amazing how much it changes when you actually give your body what it really needs. Yeah, and luckily I – Was I guess became
0: technically pescatarian. People freak out about the categories. That's what I I learned in the process of saying I was vegetarian, but I ate fish and eggs and cheese, and I was corrected on that pretty quickly. And uh, that certainly helped me, and I'm really glad that I did. So I ate a decent amount of fish, and then later on, I actually came across the Weston Price stuff through um, a guy in his Tooth Decay book. I forget his last name. It's like Nagel or something. But, um, yeah, so I was reading through that and I was like, well, that's really interesting. And so from then on, I decided that I was going to go back to eating meat. And basically the whole journey I had is, is kind of similar where I started fine tuning that. But then, uh, you know, my lady who you and your wife helped a lot was in a similar situation where she had been in that vegan diet and it was really screwing her up. I was, you know, trying to, help her see that. And then once she got on that, uh, carnivore diet, a lot of the problems she was having went away. Her hair was growing back. She got all this color back in her face and everything. So it really did make a huge difference.
1: Uh, yes. you I know mean, I'm, I'm honored to hear that we were of some use to you guys. And I'm glad that I'm glad she's doing well. Cause we t- we talked to so many people coming out of vegan and vegetarian diets. Um, and there was a huge wave yet last year and the year before these like ex vegans and, um, a lot of prominent vegan youtubers and stuff still i still get contacted by these prominent vegan youtubers who are feeling better eating animal foods but they still they can't talk to their audiences about it because they're so they're so caught in this bubble of this like cult that will you know gaslight them guilt trip them call them monsters if they dare say they're eating animal foods but man it's it's amazing how much better people feel when they include what's, you know, they, when they eat a human appropriate diet, which doesn't have to be fully carnivorous, but if you've got issues like, like you mentioned, right? I mean, chronic inflammation, um, even like arthritis, uh, digestive issues, IBS, these things tend to be helped so much by going at least mostly animal based for a period of time. And then people can add back foods and see like what works for them, what they can handle, uh, what their digestion can handle and what their body can deal with. And, um, So it's it's really it's really amazing seeing the effects that nutrition has on us. And did you like when you started doing more animal foods, did your injuries, how how did that affect your injuries and your recovery? Um, Well,
0: the the injuries I had were uh, nerve injuries and I had surgery for that. And so basically, they are things that would kind of flare up here and there. But I I was always able to manage it. But I think it was the in conjunction with doing some uh, better exercise. I mean, I was always an athlete. I did basketball and soccer and stuff like that, but I didn't really do anything outside of just playing sports. I wasn't like working out or doing anything different. Um, And then I got into boxing, and that actually really helped like work a lot of my muscles in my arm. But I also noticed that while I was eating a lot more meat, I started putting on a ton more muscle, and I have a lot more muscle in my arms than I ever did now which was really surprising how quickly it built up. So I look at it in conjunction with doing the boxing and then trying to eat a lot of quality meats. And it was a huge difference for me.
1: Cool, man. Yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing how quickly, you know, when we're nutrient deficient, we, we can, you know, become, we get like sarcopenia, right? Like where we lose muscle mass, especially after an injury when we're, if we get like depressed and immobilized for a long time. Or if you're just like the standard American lifestyle and you go to high school, you go to college and you don't move your body much, you just like drink and smoke weed all the time and don't do anything physical for years, like you lose muscle mass. But then once you start, you get on like, you know, a human appropriate diet, you get enough of the nutrients you need and you feed your body what it really requires and you start doing some movement. I mean, you you put on muscle without even really trying. And that really does seem to help, you know, structurally with, uh, things like back issues and stuff. I think a lot of my back issues were not due to, you know, some like genetic dysfunction, but more due to the fact that I had a poor lifestyle. I'm sitting at desks all day, not moving my body. And I stopped, you know, I stopped doing you know, sport when I was like 15. You know, I stopped playing baseball and soccer. But then also, some of the, you know, when you're playing baseball, you're throwing the ball with one arm all the time. You're swinging a bat for thousands of reps in one direction. So it's like very, uh, very imbalanced movement patterns that we develop and then sitting at a desk writing with the same hand all the time, just you know, slouched over the desk all day long. A lot of that stuff does come into play with, uh, with our health as well, right? Just an immobilized stiff body where you have like kyphotic posture and your shoulders are curled over because you're sitting down all day. It's a recipe for disaster and poor digestion too.
0: Excellent. Well, maybe we can begin to wrap up the first hour here. We can talk a little bit about uh, some of the the diets and and things that you would promote to help people if they have, you know, uh, been exposed to this. They have been trying some sort of vegetarian vegan diet and they've, you know, maybe want to be a little bit more honest that maybe some things aren't quite right. Um, So on your website, maybe we can start getting into some of what that's about, what you promote and what you recommend. Because I think one thing that I I sympathize with a lot of the people is what tends to happen, I think, um, is you are kind of a victim growing up in this culture, especially the millennials, where you're just eating a bunch of crap. And then you see this materialist capitalist system, you're reacting to it, and then you sort of build this archetypal subconscious association with you know, eating particular diets that seem to be standard Western diet, and it's all about burgers and meat. And, you know, that's kind of, again, archetypally tied to indulgence or things like that. And then we see that excess in our culture. And so I certainly understand why the vegetarian alternative kind of seems like the antidote to that on the surface, at least. And then you have the Western civilization and meat-eating that's archetypally tied to patriarchal authority. And there's a version of that that's bad and is very oppressive. And then there's a version of it that's actually good and helpful and is going to help protect people. Unfortunately, we witness the former, not the latter. And then usually you go out and you get burnt. I think especially the women when they're told that you can go out, you could be just as strong in this instance. You don't need a guy protecting you. Don't worry about this yeah. or that. And then they get hurt by it. And then they feel like a victim. And then they get upset at men behaving like animals because that's what they will do in our Darwinist mindset. And then they start sympathizing with the animals who seem like victims because humans are killing them. So it's a kind of a sadistic thing, I think, especially for the women. But then there's that sort of feminizing of men aspect to it And it really is a holistic thing, right? There's the diet, physical aspect, and then there's usually some sort of spiritual mindset or philosophy attached to it, and they're both kind of deceptive, and again, it's like the dialectical alternative, but it's both leading to not-so-great things, whether it's the real oppressive patriarchy, or it's the oppressive matriarchy whichever version of it it's still bad but it's strangely intertwined with a diet so um what are some of the things that you promote when people are trying to recover from this maybe from a, a health perspective first and then you know obviously you, your the spiritual perspective is intertwined with that how would you approach somebody who's coming into this and they've been traumatized by all this yeah, you
1: know, I mean, we, a lot of us are just nutrient deficient, right? We've not only been depriving ourselves of the nutrients we need, uh, proteins, animal fats, uh, but also we're overeating a lot of the crap we don't need, you know, a lot of anti-nutrients and things, things like grains, um, you know, just lots of processed and refined foods, lots of vegetable oils, stuff like that. So, I mean, depending on where you're coming from, right, you, It's you're going to it's, there's not like a one size fits all, right? But some of the basic principles that are super important that we teach are what to avoid and what to focus on. All right. So there's certain things you should focus on. Those things are going to be good quality animal foods, red meat, ruminant meat, uh, sheep, mutton, lamb, uh, beef, organ meats, too. Organs are some of the most nutrient dense parts of the animal, right? Like the liver, the heart, kidney. These contain lots of fat-soluble vitamins and nutrients that you're not going to find anywhere else in the quantity that you're going to find them in animal foods. Like liver contains more vitamin B12 and vitamin A than basically every other food on the planet. There's not a single food known to man to have more vitamin A content in the retinol form, which is the fat-soluble form, as you have in liver. Right? And you get vitamin A, and they uh, they call beta carotene vitamin A. Right? You get that from carrots and stuff like that, but Very little of that can actually be converted into the usable, bioavailable retinol form, which is what your body needs. And some people are terrible at converting vitamin A from beta-carotene to the retinol fat-soluble form. So we need fat-soluble vitamins you're going to get from things like grass-fed butter. Um, uh, You're going to get this from animal fats, vitamin K2, vitamin A, vitamin D, which is not just a vitamin. It's actually a hormone involved in many physiological processes in our body. Uh, Vitamin D is converted from cholesterol. Right, So foods that have fat, animal fat, very, very important. Focus on those. If the baseline of your diet is based around getting the essentials, which there are essential amino acids and essential fatty acids, and those all are available in their most digestible, bioavailable form in animal foods. So if you focus on that, focus on beef, fish, eggs, raw dairy, you are going to be Not so hungry for the other crap that you should be avoiding, right? And the things that you should avoid are most definitely, number one, everybody should avoid vegetable oils. Canola oil, soy oil, corn oil, uh, cottonseed oil, rapeseed oil, flaxseed oil, all these things. Avoid those like the plague. A lot of people, if you have digestive issues, if you find that you know you're bloated, constipated, you got the constant diarrhea, if you got digestive issues, digestive issues, avoiding legumes and grains and seeds and nuts can be really beneficial for a lot of people. Now that doesn't mean you have to avoid them all forever, but especially you want to you want to dodge those whole grains, right? Things like uh, you know, whole wheat flour. Um, uh, uh, brown rice, right? These things have a lot of anti-nutrients in them, like lectins, uh, like oxalates. And oxalates actually, if you look at spinach, for instance, right? Spinach is not a grain, but it's a, a, a there's a lot of oxalate also in wheat, uh, especially whole wheat. Oxalate is a Uh, compound that is an anti-nutrient that actually binds up to calcium and magnesium and potassium and it creates what's called calcium oxalate crystals which can actually create kidney stones so you see a lot of people that are going for plant-based diets they start juicing they start doing spinach smoothies and stuff like that and then suddenly they got kidney stones well that's because that oxalates binding up to all the calcium whereas spinach on paper you might think it has, I don't know, like 100 milligrams or 1200 milligrams, I forget how much calcium per 100 grams, right? But all that calcium is not bioavailable. In fact, it's getting bound up with oxalate, which will also bind to calcium in your body and can calcify things like your organs, your thyroid, stuff like that. So I would say avoiding oxalates would be a big deal for a lot of people who have hormonal issues, chronic pain, and inflammation as well. And uh, so, as far as the foods to avoid, vegetable oils for sure. Some people are going to want to avoid oxalates. A lot of people are going to want to avoid grains because a lot of people have sensitivities to them. Um, But uh, most people tend to do pretty well with things like fruits, uh, some low oxalate vegetables. Most people do decent with, and uh, some people might want to avoid fiber. We've been told that fiber is this magical nutrient. You need more and more of it. The more fiber you get, the better you're going to be. This is actually not inherently true. Fiber is not everybody's friend. Might be great for some people, might be okay for others, might be absolutely detrimental for many. So avoid the high oxalate foods, avoid the vegetable oils, avoid the high anti-nutrient foods, uh, legumes, whereas if they're properly prepared—so right. if you focus on the bioavailable nutrient-dense animal foods and the rest of your diet— is not going to be so difficult to figure out because you're not going to be so hungry for the other stuff. So if you're obese, if you're overweight and you want to lose body fat, focus on animal fats. A ketogenic approach where you got very low carbohydrate is very effective for managing hunger, for reducing inflammation. And if you focus on the fatty animal foods, you're going to be satiated. You're going to get the nutrients you need, and you're not going to be hungry for all the other crap, right? So if you focus on the steaks, you're not going to care so much about the cakes. And that's uh, those are some basic principles that will work really well for most people. You should make a T-shirt for that. Uh, <laughs> we actually do have a t-shirt for that We're oh there you go. Cake t-shirt. <laughs> um
0: so if somebody was looking to implement some of these things but they didn't have a bunch of money but they could prioritize what would you say they should uh you know spend their higher dollar on and which uh things could they maybe water down a little bit and get a lesser quality version
1: yeah well if you' are i mean organ meats you're going to want to get good quality grass-fed organ meats uh wild caught fish uh, gonna, if you got Access to small family farms around you. Grass-fed beef is very important. Um, uh, just if you, A lot of people, we spend a lot of money on things like uh, booze, and cigarettes, and uh, entertainment. And I think if some people prioritize good quality food in their diet rather than some of these other unnecessary things, right? Like a lot of people have like a, a full-on candy and liquor budget. They <laughs> can kind of minimize that and focus on good quality animal foods. Uh, beef, fish, shellfish, uh, organ meats, eggs, seafood, shellfish are pretty, uh, affordable. Um, organ meats can be very affordable if you know where to get them. And if you go to local family farms, small local producers and you get it directly from them, you're gonna get better prices. But, uh, yeah, I mean, just minimize the money you spend on processed foods, refined foods. And, um, and focus on the good quality animal foods, and you're going to help stay within budget there. And if you buy locally, directly from the source, you're going to save a lot of money as well.
0: Um, So as far as vegetables go... Uh, what what is your recommended, recommended doses on, excuse me, dosage on that if people like eating vegetables and which ones would they want to completely avoid maybe and then which ones would be okay in particular situations in your mind? Yeah, good question. Uh, so I
1: mentioned I mentioned oxalates earlier. Some people have major issues with those. That's one of the most common sensitivities people have to uh, vegetable anti-nutrients. So we've got a low and high oxalate food list on our website, primelunchhealth.com. You go to the website. You search oxalate food list. You can find those. I would say most people could do well on a lower oxalate diet. So avoiding the high oxalate foods, focusing on you know low oxalate fruits, vegetables. If you're going to have greens, uh, not only does kale suck and taste like rubber, uh, it's also not that great for you, and it's got a lot of anti nutrients. So you're going to want to go for things like like if you're going to make a salad instead of having a bunch of spinach and kale. I have like iceberg lettuce, romaine lettuce, that's going to be better for you. And uh, it might have less nutrients on paper, but it has a lot of less of those anti-nutrients that are going to block the absorption of those nutrients anyways. So you think kale is the superfood, but you're not digesting any of those uh, nutrients in there. Lots of that is bound up in a matrix of indigestible fiber and anti-nutrients. So uh, we get told to focus on dark leafy greens. I actually think uh, we should do the opposite. So things like squashes, summer squashes, pumpkins, stuff like that, a lot more digestible and easy to um, uh, to uh, to assimilate. A lot of people do well with tubers. Yeah, even though tubers on paper, some of them have higher oxalate. There's something else going on with them that seem to make them more bioavailable and digestible if properly prepared. So things like yuca. Usually pretty digestible. A lot of people do well with like plantains, bananas. Um, as far as like you know vegetables go, there's nothing inherently lacking in animal foods that you're going to find in vegetables. But lower oxalate vegetables like um, uh, squash, zucchini, cucumber, stuff like that is going to be better than the very high anti nutrient ones like spinach, kale, uh, and all that. So. Uh, raw honey is another really good food. It's kind of an animal-based carbohydrate. There's a sugar that's uh, in uh, in very bioavailable form and has live enzymes that help to break it down uh, and fill your glycogen stores quickly. So if you're going to have a lot of carbohydrates, raw honey, raw milk, raw dairy, and fruits are going to be much better than uh, like vegetables and grains for a lot of people.
0: Mm. What about the uh, you know like root vegetables, carrots, etc.?
1: yeah i mean it depends like if you're trying to lose if you're trying to lose weight you're probably going to want to avoid sugars and tubers but root vegetables uh, you know, sweet potatoes some people have issues with oxalates and others don't right like so you might be able to handle sweet potatoes uh, potatoes yuca properly prepared uh, these can be digestible for some people but can give others issues right so it's really it's not about like What works for others, it's about what works for you, what you can digest, what you enjoy. And um, there's probably going to be genetic predispositions to being able to handle and digest certain foods. And some people might not be able to handle uh, those foods so well. So it's really, it's about an individual approach. But there are certain guidelines that everybody should follow, like avoiding the stupid vegetable oils, right? Avoid the corn oil, the soy oil, those omega-6 fatty acids in there are very easily oxidized. And they go rancid and that can actually create insulin resistance as well as inflammation chronically throughout the body. So sometimes it's about like what you don't eat. And, um, and if you focus on the good quality animal foods, the other stuff matters a lot less. So what about, uh,
0: you know, I know you mentioned some fruits, but what's your general opinion on are there certain fruits or others? Why can't I eat bananas only like some people suggest? Like that uh, freely banana girl. Why can't I do that? why is that a bad thing <laughs> there's a lot of that going around i noticed
1: Yeah. yeah. I, mean, you're, I mean you're gonna run into i mean just nutrient deficiencies right there's no zinc iron heme iron you're only going to get that really in red meat and uh you know manganese zinc iodine all these things you're gonna run into major nutrient deficiencies if you try to do an all an all- fruit diet i mean you might feel high as a kite because you're starving yourself and uh, uh so you might get that kind of like uh, weird loopy fruitarian vibe for a little bit, but you're, you're going to crash. You're going to wreck your hormones. You're going to wreck your digestion too. So, uh, yeah, I do not recommend an all fruit diet, but that doesn't mean you got to avoid fruit. Like, you know, we, our kids eat bananas all the time. We planted a bunch of bananas the other week. Uh, I think bananas are a, are great food. If you can digest them and handle them, it's just, they're not a necessary food, right? And you can't live exclusively on bananas or kale smoothies or, peaches or plums or anything like that. That doesn't mean peaches and plums are bad. It's just you're not getting essential amino acids or essential fatty acids from them. You're not getting the fat-soluble vitamins and a lot of these nutrients that we need. You're not getting bioavailable calcium from any plant foods. Right? You're going to get that from good quality animal foods, from raw dairy, from cheeses, from butter. Um, So, yeah, bananas are fine. Just like don't just eat bananas. Yeah, and um, one thing that
0: I did, A while back, I was given a juicer and I made the mistake of like trying to drink way too much vegetable juice. And boy, I got a really bad reaction. It like screwed up my stomach. I had to go lay down for like an hour straight. And then I couldn't eat other foods later on without getting that huge stomach ache. Um, And and it was kind of scary. So, you know, that's another thing you find going around like this juicing or smoothie uh, indulgence. Um, yeah. and that's also, you know, you're spending a bunch of money on all these devices as well, but that's kind of goes with a lot of this stuff too. Um, and I don't know, I just figured I'd throw it out there cause I personally had a bad reaction with it, but what do you think about juicing and,
1: you know, blending and smoothies stuff like that? Yeah, I, I don't think people should be buying juicers and juicing. I think it's, uh, I think it's a silly practice. You know, I mean, I, we, we bought a juicer back in 2009 as well in 2010, 2009, got a Jack LaLanne juicer and we were juicing stuff. But yeah, a lot of people run into issues with this with digestion. You're taking a bunch of plants that you couldn't even eat raw. Like you see what these vegetable juices that people are making. If you couldn't eat all that stuff raw, why do you think you're gonna be able to digest it, juicing it? You're removing the fiber and you're kind of removing some of the anti-nutrients, but it's like. If you're juicing greens, especially you're doing these green smoothies, that's a lot of anti-nutrients that you cannot digest, right? You can't, you try to eat a bunch of kale raw and see what happens. People who try to eat a bunch of kale raw and you're going to get gas, bloating, digestive issues. But why do you think if you just blend it up with some bananas and some ice cubes that suddenly all that kale is going to be digested? It's going to do the same thing it's going to slice up your gut, right? Like these are abrasive foods that we are not able to digest. And, um, yeah, so I, I think people should avoid juicing. Uh, if you're going to like, uh, orange juice and like fresh squeezed, like fruit juice, totally different. Like, I don't see a problem with having some orange juice. It's not going to like, you know, save your life or make you a Superman or anything. You can't live off of it. But, You know, you could take an orange, you squeeze the juice out of it. You take a lemon, you squeeze the juice out of it. You could see how easy it is to extract that. But it's like with kale, juicing kale is just ridiculous. But also things like uh, lots of nuts and seeds. People can run into issues with that as well. Like when you look at almonds or walnuts, look how difficult it is to take that out of its hole and consume a large amount of it. Like it's going to take you half a day to eat 30 or 40 almonds It's hard to get these things out. And there are lots of anti-nutrients in there like phytates, lectins. And these phytates are actually meant to protect that seed and store nutrients in them so that they don't get activated until it's soaking in the ground. And then it sends up that sprout. So these enzymatic reactions that are inhibited by these plant toxins until that seed is soaked and sprouted in the ground then it releases some of these nutrients and allows it to grow right so that makes it really difficult to digest these foods so if you're going to eat nuts to make them more bioavailable people have historically sprouted them and that can make them a little more bioavailable but even that like it takes a lot of work like almond butter peanut butter all these foods like they taste really good but we got a lot of anti-nutrients and a lot of omega-6 fatty acids, so I tell people to avoid those as well. Juicing, nut butters, these things are really uh, like very uh, popular these days, and I think that's something that people should avoid. Like, have a steak. Quit wasting your money on the dang juice or Buy some <laughs> more steaks. Um, what about
0: cooking foods versus raw? Are there any particular ones you would recommend? raw or that should be cooked and which ones would it matter more for
1: oh yeah that's interesting with meats you actually there are a lot of you know, nutrients that'll get destroyed with overcooking right so having your steaks rare eating your meat rare some people eat meat raw and feel a lot better some people who have major digestive issues have had uh, really powerful healing experiences from eating more raw meat so you don't need to eat meat raw, but eating a little bit more rare can be beneficial. Things like liver, when you cook liver, you're going to destroy some of the vitamin A and B12 content. When you don't cook it, it's, I don't know, some people might think it looks and tastes gross, but you're going to get a lot of more vitamin vitamin and mineral content from it. Um, obviously like, you know, fruits and stuff, you, you don't want to cook most fruits, but um I don't know. There there are benefits to eating meat raw, but not everybody wants to do it. Not everybody needs to do it. Having a combination of like rare and even sometimes raw uh, meat can be great. Organs you want to minimally cook. uh, Your liver, kidney usually tastes a lot better when it's cooked. And um, so yeah, I mean, it just it really depends on the uh, on your preference, right? There's no need to eat like everything raw, but there are some benefits for some people in certain contexts, right? You got digestive issues. Some more raw meat might be really good, you know. Trying a meal of, you know, beef tartar or something like that every once in a while. You know, sushi, for instance. People always feel great when they eat sushi. You always know, I say they feel lighter when they eat sushi than if they're eating cooked fish. There's a reason for that, right? You're you're actually getting a different nutrient profile and you're digesting a little bit differently if it's not cooked. But um, yeah, it's not like we all gotta eat raw meat all the time. What about with vegetables?
0: Uh, that how much? Would that impact, you know, the ones that you were recommending that is
1: fine to eat? Yeah, properly preparing is important, right? Like, so if you pressure cook spinach, you can remove some of the oxalate content. If you like uh, things like broccoli, cauliflower, these are uh, these goitrogens, these foods, you can actually neutralize some of the anti-nutrient content and a lot of it by you know boiling it, steaming it and preparing it, right? So with a lot of these vegetables, like greens and stuff, if you boil them, you're going to be removing some of the anti-nutrients and in some cases, a lot of the anti-nutrients like boiling potatoes, you're going to remove a lot of the anti-nutrients, whereas baking those potatoes, you're going to maintain more of the oxalate in there. So yeah, there, there definitely is something when you prepare plant foods correctly, it makes them more bioavailable. When you ferment plant foods, like if you make sauerkraut, you ferment cabbage, you're getting a lot more bioavailability and you're creating through bacterial processes, more nutrients that you wouldn't have in it um, if you were not properly preparing it. So there's definitely something to be said. I think a great resource for understanding like how healthy humans have eaten uh, for millennia is Weston A. Price's Nutrition and Physical Degeneration. That book gives a very good picture of all these cultures were using, most of them, some of them ate nothing but meat like the Inuit, but they also fermented meat as well. So fermented foods are a part of all the cultures that he studied's diet. Uh, some of them would be fermenting and sprouting certain things like grains, making even like alcoholic drinks, which might even have certain benefits nutritionally, uh, you know, properly prepared and fermented foods have been consumed for eons. And um, yeah, with plant foods, especially they do require proper preparation and different plant foods will require different preparation to make them bioavailable and digestible and to make them uh, you know beneficial for our health. So like, cabbage you try to eat that raw it's not so enjoyable but if you braise it tastes great right like braising cabbage and bone broth tastes amazing fermenting cabbage and making sauerkraut tastes so good and it gives you nutrient uh benefits that you're not going to get from the raw food
0: um yeah i think uh you know wrapping up some of the uh the health you know recommendations or disputes there's always this uh issue that happens when you watch people debating veganism versus, you know, meat diet or whatever. And I know you've been in plenty of these debates, so you probably know what I'm talking about. There seems to be a battle of the studies where it's like, I got this study that says this. And you're like, well, I have a study that says the opposite. And then it becomes this study off. It's kind of like a bro off where only people focus on the doctors or the studies that promote what they want to promote. And it just sort of results in a stalemate when you only use that as your
1: criteria. It's like whoever gets more studies, like I've got 20 studies, you've got 10 <laughs> studies. So my science outweighs the veracity of your science. Yeah, I mean it's honestly like the, the study thumping, it's, it, I'm not interested in those types of debates, and I don't even engage in that level of debate. When when I'm going to – if I, if a vegan's going to want to debate me, I want to debate the ethics of it. Right, I mean the, the nutrient deficiencies inherent to a vegan diet are easy to demonstrate. But then they're going to pull out all these studies of like these Seventh Day Adventist stud, uh, funded studies about you know oh look plant based diets are superior because we cherry picked these populations and claimed they were plant based and look they have a longer lifespan. There's so many flaws to a lot of this methodology, uh, epidemiology uh, that, that we don't that I I don't really engage in that that aspect of the debate. I think it's nonsensical. Um, I think the best way to debate these things is the morality and ethics of it, the the ethics and morals of a vegan diet, right? That's very easy to dismantle very quickly, and um, yeah, so I mean, mean, there's these vegans, they're gonna try to pull out all these studies saying a plant-based diet is superior. There's not a single double-blind controlled study on vegan diets long-term, and it's impossible to do dietary studies long-term anyways, for ethical reasons and just for practicality. You can't study somebody with a control group and uh, and do long-term dietary studies like that, but we do know that there's not a single vegan or vegetarian population in the entire world, and the closest thing to it is India. Uh, India is the closest thing to a largely vegetarian population, but a lot of the people still do eat some meat, and they eat lots uh, of—so they're vegetarian, not vegan. They have a lot of dairy, and they do eggs as well. but. Uh, India has the worst health outcomes, the shortest life expectancy, the most diabetes and obesity. And it's one of the most just, uh, shoot, I mean, one of the most like decadent, not decadent, I wouldn't even call it India. I mean, it's one of the most poverty stricken areas in the world with one of the biggest disparities between the ultra poor who are treated like trash and the rich. And this vegetarian diet is very, very instrumental in the caste system and is obviously not resulting in good health outcomes for for them, So when you remove animal foods from the diet, you get massive degeneration quickly as demonstrated in Weston Price's book. That's one of the, my favorite references. Is the uh, the photos in that book are very telling. Uh, the time that it was uh, put together is very, very important right before World War II and the mass industrialization of many of these places. A lot of these people are gone now. Like a lot of the people that he studied, those cultures are crushed. They're destroyed. They've given over to the global McMono culture that we have now everywhere. And, um, so yeah, I think study thumping is not fruitful, not fun, and uh, it's just it's a stalemate. It's an immediate stalemate. It's like, oh, well, my study's good and your study's bad, right? Well, your study there's a conflict of interest there. Well, your study's funded by these people, so therefore it's bad. It's just it's it's a it's a game. Gets political. You know, it's political. Yeah. Makes it's no. There's no sense in, in engaging in those types of arguments. If people want to do it, it's all good. Just for me, there's there, it makes no sense to uh, to engage in it because I see flaws on both sides. I see the, the the meat eaters using the same appeals to authority that the vegans will say. The vegan, well, the World Health Organization says that a vegan diet is appropriate for all people of all ages and uh, it is going to save the planet. And then the meat eaters are like, oh, well, you know, this uh, Ph.D. scientist from this university says that the World Health Organization is wrong. And it's just like you end up with appeals to authority and with, you know, flawed studies. And it's uh, I don't know. It's a it's it's a confusing mess when you get into those arguments.
0: Yeah. Whenever I watched any of those debates, I had to turn them off pretty quickly because it was very fruitless and people turn pretty ugly pretty quick. So. I know we don't have as much time as we had wanted originally, but nonetheless, let's uh, end part one here and uh, tell people where they can find you and find your website, have a whole site dedicated to this and that you also help people who are looking to, you know, recuperate from perhaps uh, some health issues or not so good dietary choices in the past or lifestyles or uh, even
1: being stung by the vegan bug. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, what's fortunate is not that many people have been stung by the vegan bug. Most people don't end up getting duped into it, but most of us have experienced, you know, nutrient deficiencies from eating a crap diet, focusing on the wrong foods. And um, yeah, so we've been helping people to lose body fat, to improve their insulin sensitivity, to get their blood glucose levels stable, to reduce inflammation, improve, you know, physical and cognitive performance using diet for years now. We've got a website. It's primaledgehealth.com. Uh, we have a uh, private members forum. We're actually in about 30 minutes from now, I'm going to be jumping in our coaching call, our weekly coaching call that we do in there, helping people out. So that's a really affordable way to get help there. Uh, we've got several books that we've published, several cookbooks, including the carnivore cookbook, showing people how to make nose to tail affordable, nourishing animal foods in their own kitchen. Because one of the problems with uh, you know growing up with all these like nutrient deficient Western diets is we don't know how to prepare food for ourselves. We're just used to Taco Bell and, um, and quiz those. And, uh, we're not able to uh, prepare food. A lot of us. So our goal is to teach people how to take care of themselves, how to take care of their bodies, how to take care of their families and how to prepare their own food. Uh, we also do coaching as well. So we do private coaching consultations. i got a YouTube channel where uh, I've been doing a lot of been doing mostly live streams lately. Um, I just enjoy the format more. You've got audience interaction and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I got a YouTube channel, primaledgehealth.com. And got hundreds of videos up there. I don't even know how many videos are on there now. Maybe even a thousand. Um, at least five hundred. And uh, yeah, that's that's what we do. We like helping people out. We like helping people to get healthy and take back their health and their families, themselves, uh, and their communities.
0: To gain access to the second hour, head to www.rockstaresoterica.com and become a member to gain all access to all content at all times. Or to purchase individual episodes such as this one, head to schism206.podbean.com.